Yeah, so when she sleeps, um, her little bum floats up in the air. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast, and I yet again didn't think of a joke for here, the Rasafari Podcast. Yeah, you know what, y'all? Almost every time that I record one of these, I start, I get all hyped up, and then I realize that I don't have a joke there, and then I pause, and I stop, and I, I think about what joke I'm going to put in there, and I really spend time on it, and um, no, that's your joke. That is your joke. I am a joke. I <laughs> hate myself. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All is well. I'm hilarious. It's fun. Okay, cool. So <laughs> welcome to the podcast. And if this is your first episode of Raw Safari, I'm sorry for that mini meltdown, but um, I'm recording this on my last day in California and I'm leaving to go to my next gig in Arizona and I'm sad, but I've had a great time. So I'm happy and everything is awesome. So yay, but also I'm leaving. So boo. And so I am just on a roller coaster of emotions, as the kids say. Apparently, no child has ever said that, but that's okay. I stand by it. Um, and, you know, I, I got to tell you, even though I'm now leaving California, if you remember from our previous episodes, uh, we're going through the road trip on the way out here. And I'm so excited about the facility that I am bringing you today because it's pretty new and a lot of you may have never heard of it. And I think that's really exciting. But first, some quick housekeeping. Don't forget that there is merch available as well as all the things that you look for in your podcast websites. Uh, I don't really know what that is, but whatever. At rossafari.com. You can support the pod by going to patreon.com slash rossafari. And for as little as $3 a month, you can help support the work that I'm doing. And, uh, you know, always greatly appreciated when, when somebody signs up as a, as a new patron. So uh, hop on board, y'all. And then make sure you're following along at rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. At Rossafari Pod on TikTok, you know, that app that I never open and should probably get back to, but hey, whatever. And uh, yeah, yeah, make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're following, give us ratings, give us reviews, all the things that every single podcast host asks for. I'm now asking you to do it as well because I am a podcast host. See, it all makes sense. Okay, but enough being shot out of a cannon about all of that. Now I need to be shot out of a cannon because I am so excited to tell you about today's episode. I am bringing you my interview with Aaron Clark of the St. Louis Aquarium. Now, those of you who are in the know may have just paused because you expected to hear the word zoo at the end of that. See, for a long time, St. Louis didn't have an aquarium. But in 2019, a beautiful, new, wonderful, state-of-the-art facility opened up in St. Louis, the St. Louis Aquarium, and it is truly special. And then COVID hit, and it had to close for a long time. So even though the aquarium has been around since 2019, it's still really new and, and still kind of finding its footing and getting its, its visitors and its members and all that stuff. But the people who do go and do find it 
are in for a heck of a treat. I cannot think of a single facility that I have ever been to that integrates technology with their actual exhibits as well as the St. Louis Aquarium does. There's this awesome little train ride thing that you can go on at the beginning of it. It has nothing to do with seeing living animals. But, you know, while I normally don't like those things that much, this one was really cool. And not just because it's narrated by St. Louis's own John Goodman, but it was just, it was really fun. I had a really good time with it. And then when it gets to the exhibits, there's some really cool stuff going on. So yeah, you're going to hear about those things. You're going to hear about what goes into building an aquarium because how often do we get to talk to somebody about building a brand new facility? So far, the answer has been or never happens. And now it has. You're going to learn about what really went into taking a classic building that had nothing to do with wildlife and turning it into a state-of-the-art aquarium. And oh yeah, you're also definitely going to hear about some cool animals. You're going to hear about Lord Stanley, the blue lobster, Quasi and Tsunami, the sea turtles. You're going to hear about a Tamandua. You're going to hear about a sloth that used to live at Southwick's Zoo with our friends at Southwick's and is now at the St. Louis Aquarium. There's a really cute story behind the whole thing, and I really think you're going to love it. And of course, we're going to talk about, you know, your standard aquarium animals. So there is a lot going on in this episode. But first, before we get to all of that, let's get to an ad, shall we? Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, man. Now we're going to take it down where it's better, where it's wetter, under the... No, no. All right. First of all, bad accent. Second of all, Disney lawyers were already banging on my door when I started that. So without further ado, here is my interview with Aaron Clark of the St. Louis Aquarium. All right. So tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. My name is Erin Clark. Um, we, I am the director of animal projects for Zoo Oceanarium Group, um, and we are currently at the St. Louis Aquarium at Union Station, which is like a new aquarium. Yeah, super new. Super new. Okay, opened. So, yeah, twenty nineteen. Right. Okay. So at some point in twenty nineteen, I'm on tour as a do, and we're going through St. Louis, and I look out my window, and I see St. Louis Aquarium at Union Station, and I go the hell that doesn't exist there's no such thing and i instantly hopped on the interwebs and you didn't exist yet but you know it was all being built and right. stuff and what an eye-catching awning for the record they yes hard to miss yeah 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 so tell me the story we'll get to you i promise that's fine but tell me the story of why this is here 
and how this happened. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a great story. The aquarium is located in Union Station. So it's a historic landmark in St. Louis. It is originally a train station. Because of Union Station, St. Louis was able to host the 1904 World's Fair, the National Democratic Convention, and the Olympics in the same year because it could wow. handle the volume of traffic coming in. Like, it's huge. Um, and it was very popular. Um, and then, of course, train travel changes and all of that. Um, and in the 80s, the property was redesigned as a festival marketplace. Um, so part of the train shed, this huge structure that all the trains would pull in under, was enclosed. And you had um, essentially an indoor shopping mall. Um, again, that kind of fell on the wayside. Um, but what you also have is the head of um, like that head house for the train station. The train station where everybody would come in was turned into a gorgeous hotel. So flash forward 2010 maybe and um, the owners of the property, Lodging Hospitality Management, buy Union Station Complex for the hotel. They've got 11 acres to figure out what to do with on top of it. <laughs> so then they start thinking about it, right? What does... What's missing from St. Louis? They go through a number of iterations and they realize it's a pretty one of the few larger cities that doesn't have an aquarium in it. So then they start benchmarking. Um, they look at, you know, tenanting an aquarium, having somebody come in and just do their own. And then they went, but St. Louis deserves its own kind of unique um, space. So they decided to do it themselves. And in order for a hotel group to get into... Um, taking care of fish, they said, we need somebody that can help us with this. Um, and so they found a local architect firm, PJV, uh, and then they reached out to us, the Oceanarium Group. Um, and so we started this journey back in 2017, um, whole design um, you know, concept and everything. And it was tricky. How do you build an aquarium inside of an old train station and honor the history that's there, but not make it weird? And I think we nailed it. I mean, from what I've seen so far, yes. Yeah. This, it, it's it's like pulling into like almost like a theme park type area, but except I have to say that like in an educational and conservation-y kind of way, like all of the stuff around the aquarium is very appropriate. I go to a lot of these. I'm a big fan of the signage of everything that I've seen so far. But there's also that like anticipatory thing of like – I'm turning into an event now. And there's the the big Ferris wheel and there yeah. are trains. There are like still trains. Absolutely, that, yeah. You know, and um and uh I think as a tribute to the the old hobos that used to ride trains, um, as soon as I got here, some guy came up to me and asked me for money and I just I assume that was part of the Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. It's actually quite beautiful here. Um but it is. It's really it's it's an event. And granted I get excited about animal stuff. But as I was pulling in, it felt like an event was about to happen. Yeah. They, and that's really cool. That's awesome to hear. Thank you. They So the idea, we started with the aquarium, and then you still have a lot of acreage here. So what else can you do? Um, and the goal was to turn it into a family destination right in the heart of downtown St. Louis. Um, and so we do. The attraction, the aquarium is one of six attractions on property in addition to a hotel, in addition to restaurants. So you can come down and spend the whole day. Um, and they were very intentional with the design of it. So again, staying true to that historic train station and the beautiful architecture that we have here, but also creating something that is um, uniquely St. Louis. 
um, which was super important. Yeah, no, and St. Louis has such unique character, and there there are so many cool things here. Um, whether it's the the you know the the baseball stadium or the <clears throat> sorry friends former NFL stadium, um, some of the best restaurants I've ever eaten at in my time here. The Arch, obviously, is such a huge thing. Um, the museum, the oh, what is the museum's name? The oh, City Museum. Yeah, City Museum. City Museum, City museum is the coolest thing. Ever, it is unbelievable. You know? Yeah. yeah. No. Um, and even here, I feel like you capture a lot of that vibe in terms of, like you said, there's still the beautiful old architecture. Um, there is the aquarium. But then as I was waiting to meet y'all, I looked up and there were – it was like an indoor treetops exploration thing and somebody was shooting past me on a – I just – in the air. Like it's just – it's a really cool, really funky use of space. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So happy to hear that. So tell me about this group that you you work for. Um, World Ocean Group, you said? Zoo Oceanarium Zoo, Group. Zoo, I was so wrong on Yo, that. Yeah, no, we I'm... took two words, <laughs> mushed it together um, to make it probably an intimidating word when you look at it, for sure. Um, so Zoo Oceanarium Group is actually celebrating their 10-year anniversary this year. Um, and so it started um, actually over in uh, Dubai okay. in the Middle East. So nice. the idea was to take zoo and aquarium um, and science center specialists, everybody from the divers and the biologists, um, the animal care team, up through your operations team and um, essentially create a company that can operate zoos, aquariums, and science centers for those people that want to do it, like a hotel group, but it's not within their business model, right? Um, so we started over in the Middle East. Um, and so I was there with them for five years uh, and then moved back to the U.S. to work specifically on the St. Louis Aquarium Project here. So. Okay, so can can we talk about your time over there a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Like, tell me what that was like because I've never been to Dubai, although I was supposed to be, and I'm I'm very sad about COVID. But um, you'll get there only yeah. for that reason, though. That's right. the only thing that COVID has wreaked havoc on for anyone. No, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's been pretty bland. Yeah, yeah quiet. Pretty chill. Just that yeah. one thing. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> no, but tell me about your time over there. What it was like. What it was like living there. All the things. Yeah, like, that's fascinating. It was amazing. So I'm originally from New England, um, but I don't like the cold which not is great. not something that a lot of people from New England will admit to. <laughs> Here's the um, real question, though. Please tell me that you don't actually like Dunkin' Coffee more than any other coffee. So I don't drink coffee. Okay. Okay. I will still – I get nostalgic for the logo. <laughs> um, but I don't frequent a lot of coffee shops. You know, I'm a 12-year-old at heart, so it's hot chocolate in the morning for me. And so wow. it's – Yep. Okay. I can respect I, that. naturally full of energy. You were I, starting to lose me when you said you don't drink coffee, but I, then you got me back okay. with hot chocolate. We're good. Like I was about to end the interview, but but hot chocolate – I mean, if there's I'm anything that it. could surpass coffee, yeah, right? No, that's, that's solid. Yep. That's solid. So, All right. Very good. Um, so it was amazing. Um, moved over there. I think it helped, too. This is the one thing – uh, Americans don't use the metric system, right? Oh, gosh, we need to. We have no idea what it means when somebody says the temperature in Celsius, mm -hmm. which made it really easy for me because I didn't realize that 46 degrees Celsius was super hot. <laughs> like, once I did the conversion, my brain went, you're not supposed to be alive right now. Um, I mean, you're pushing like 115 degrees. Right, right. Um, but, I, yeah, I moved over there in the summer. Um and so it was kind of a baptism by fire. You know, you just, you get through it. Literally. At that um, exactly. Yeah. But I loved it. Um, you're also dealing with near 100% humidity. So you walk out and your glasses fog and your skin immediately gets condensation on it. Um, but there was just something about it. The Middle East, 
70% of the population in Abu Dhabi and Dubai are not from there. Oh, wow. So you're working with people from all over the world, which is very cool. Um, It's a very different experience than you're going to get a lot of other places. Um, And you have the opportunity where it is so centrally kind of located to travel. So did a lot of traveling while I was over there, which was fantastic. Um, But it was nice to be able to... I'm a huge uh, geek fact about me. I love cows. Okay. Like driving down the street, I'll get excited when we see a cow on the side of the road. Yep. Then you go to the Middle East and there are camels. Mm -hmm. They're just desert cows. It is great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was really, it was really nice. I have to say, um, you know, a question I would get asked a lot is a female over in Abu Dhabi in Dubai. Um, I never had any challenges over there. Um, Everyone was super respectful. And so it was just a really nice opportunity for me to, I felt I grew a lot personally, a lot professionally. You know, I had grown up and lived in the same area my whole life. And then I moved to the other side of the world. Um, And so you have to kind of rip that Band-Aid off pretty quickly and... And learn a lot about yourself. So I love that I did it. Met some amazing friends. Um, but I'm also happy to be able to take those experiences back here. Right, right, right. Now that so. makes a lot of sense and is proof that you are a badass. So nice job with that. Oh, well, that. thank you. Thank yes. you. Um, so, okay. So let's let's back it off and let's find out, um, you know, how you became such a badass. Uh, so born in New England. Yes. Right? All right. What got you to where you are now. Tell me about your journey, education. What made you decide to do this kind of thing? Did you get hands-on experience with animals? You know, let's talk about all that stuff. Yeah. So I don't know why. Growing up, I always wanted to work with marine mammals, specifically dolphins. That was it. And I don't don't know where that came from. Um, I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts, but I was about an hour and a half away from the ocean. So it's not like I spent a lot of time there. Um, But I always wanted to do it. I made a change when I was in second grade and I wanted to become an oceanographer because I realized I could, I knew what that word was. That's a long word. It you know, is. I was a yeah, kid. Solid. Uh, and then I realized that I wasn't going to have a lot of the hands-on interaction with the animals that I was looking for. So then I went back to being a marine mammal trainer. Um, and that was my whole goal. So when I was in high school, I actually didn't go to my town high school. I went to a I kind of school choiced out and did a trade school for, it was an agricultural high school. It's essentially a trade school for farmers. Okay. Um, and so half of your day are academic classes and then the other half are agricultural classes. And I um, focused on marine biology, took some, you know, and then you have a minor in like vet tech, but you are hands-on doing animal. like. And because I was in the marine program, I had to learn how to plumb. Because at some point, if you are dealing with water and and habitats, you need to learn how to do a little bit of plumbing. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was a pretty amazing program for a high school. I think that's what more um, like high school should be like. The, like well-rounded education is great and all, but also like you leave school knowing you know what a tangent is, but exactly. not how to balance a checkbook. Yes. Eh, I don't know. I struggle with that sometimes. Yeah. You know? So it was a great high school. I mean, it was geared for a lot of people that would go kind of directly into it you know maybe didn't go to college um and so but i did i went to umass dartmouth so i took a biology program there um i intentionally didn't take the marine biology program and in my head i was brilliant this was a brilliant decision (laughs) for me um and it ended up working out okay but um my fear was that if i took if i got a degree in marine biology like it's hard to get into the industry there's a lot of people that want to do it so i was afraid that i wasn't going to be able to get that like filler job that you get in between so i took a biology degree so i got to take all the good classes 
to me, and I didn't have to take like the biology of algae class, which just at the time was not, you know, high on the priority level. Um, but after I graduated, I took an internship at the New England Aquarium. Oh, so right. cool. So cool. I was really, I was super lucky to get it. And I remember getting the call on my birthday. Oh, nice. That I was, nice. we were out to dinner for my birthday and I got a call or I got an email that we're going to do an interview. And I was like, yes, like, you know, the, everything is aligning. I'm going to get this. Um, so I was an internship. I did an internship with their marine mammal department. And the September after I graduated, I was hired as a, you know, entry-level marine mammal trainer. And nice. I was there for 10 years, and it was amazing. Okay, so I realize that sea turtles are not mammals. No. I, I am aware of that. But please tell me that you you know I know Myrtle where you're going. And Absolutely. And, and talk to me about Myrtle because I haven't had anyone from uh, New England on yet. So. Oh, yeah. So yes. Myrtle is amazing. She okay. is um, – I mean there is there is so much personality there, right? Um, Myrtle is a adult female green sea turtle. Um, she has been with the aquarium – since their opening in the 70s, um, still there today. And uh, as you saw, hanging out in their giant ocean tank in the center. And um, she runs that place. Um, the queen of the aquarium. Absolutely. And what was really cool is, even though our department was focused on marine mammals, right? We were working with the seals and the sea lions. Um, we also did work with animals within the um, aquarium itself. So we, our curators spent a lot of time working on a study with Myrtle to identify shape. Uh, they were doing a hearing study, I think, at the okay. time when I was there. So like, okay. you know, at what decibel can she hear? And is it directional? Um, and so it was just so neat to be able to do that because you look at, and sea turtles are amazing animals, but you look at animals and you're like, you have a hard time relating to them at times because they don't look like you, right? Um but they're unbelievable. Like because of that program, I got to do some training with lobsters, which is like so bizarre, right? Like, but we were able to do it. We were able to, we work with them, um, you know, year old ones, which are maybe like two inches long. Okay. Then we worked with ones that are about seven year olds. That's like your pound and a half pound lobster, the ones that you would more commonly see in your everyday life, you know, sure. in the restaurants. Sure, sure. Um, and then we also had a 20 pound lobster. And Ooh. so I was able to work with kind of all three of them. And we were able to identify when, you know, our young lobsters were going to molt because their behavior would just become so sporadic because suddenly their entire body was going to shed its exoskeleton and grow a new one. Um, and I don't know how many people actually believe me when I say that I did this. <laughs> But there's a video. Um, but the big 20-pound lobster, we were able to get him to discriminate between two shapes. He could identify a shape on his own. So we'd give him two shapes, and he would go to the same shape all the time, no matter where I moved it around. Wow. And so it was just so cool because you've got an animal that you're like, I mean, this thing just crawls around the ocean bottom. Like, how intelligent can they be? And, you know, the trick is just figuring out how they experience the world and how you adapt that you know, those methods to them. They were just so cool. So, yeah, sorry, we went sea turtles and then went to lobsters. No, but, I love all of this. This is this yeah. is what we're here for. So I was at uh, New England for 10 years. Um, and it was also a really exciting time because when I started, we had California sea lions. Um, and then we were kind of, they were redesigning parts of the aquarium and, and building what is now um, the New Balance Marine Mammal Center. 
um, right. outside. And so I went from starting with harbor seals, Atlantic harbor seals, and California sea lions, and we were able to completely introduce a new species, you know, um, North American fur seals. Yes, and so working with so those exciting. guys, those guys are so cool. Um, and so that was just really fun, you know, and, and a really great opportunity um, to be a part of. And so it took a lot. It was going to take a lot to get me to go, right, to leave that place. Um, but when you're given the opportunity to kind of just try something new in a completely different part of the world, I had to take it, you know. And so. yet I feel like most people wouldn't have, which makes it that much cooler. I know. This, you know. There are times where I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but it also happened so quickly, you know, that I didn't have – I had like one kind of panic moment mm-hmm. when I realized this was happening and I called my sister and she's like, you're fine. And I'm like, I'm fine. And then we just sold everything in the apartment and, you know, flew halfway around the world. Amazing. So very I cool. It. I love it. And then it was this aquarium that brought you back here, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell me what that conversation was like. So I remember having our first phone call. We were actually sitting um, – I was sitting with our managing partner and we were in a car park. I think we were in Germany, but we were having a call with um, the owners of the aquarium trying to figure out what, you know, that process looks like. Um, And again, it was kind of fast. It was very quickly. Let's come on over. Let's, you know, let's meet the team. Let's see if this is going to work. Building anything is a very time intensive process and you need to make sure that all the partners are going to melt you know there are amazing people in every aspect um in any field but you got to make sure you get just the right team right um and so we were really fortunate that we were able to join um and then we had an amazing team here and so we were i did some travel back and forth that summer i hadn't officially moved so i would like fly over here for 10 days and i fly back to dubai for 10 days um and then when it was ready so when we got close to groundbreaking um the managing partner was like, okay, you get a, the, let's back up. I'm like, okie dokie. And, you know, and it was kind of, again, one of those like really fast, I think, you know, two or three weeks, here's when this is going to happen. Wow. Um, and so I landed it, I don't know, probably like 7 p.m. in St. Louis, went to the hotel, walked down to the supermarket to get something to eat. And I was in a meeting at 8 a.m. the next morning and it was just, let's do this, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so, which was very cool. Um, and then it kind of, it just kept going. So you, you, I remember walking through here when it was the closed mall. And so you're walking through and there's all these shut down stores, but it smells like cookies and you can't figure out why. <laughs> and then we get upstairs and realize that the only thing that's still open is a subway upstairs, um, which is now where our touch pools are. Okay. I believe there was a subway up there and it was still operational because, you know, people of downtown still needed their subway. <laughs> Um, so that was really cool. Just to be able to see that whole thing evolve was unbelievable. Yeah, I bet. So what was your active role as you were here and as, as things were being developed? Like what, what would you, what did your day look like? Yeah. So it was always a little different. Um, my primary role is always to help take, you know, you can design an aquarium any number of ways, but we got to figure out what's going to make the most sense for this area. Um, and for the team that's going to operate it. Um, and so my primary role was to work with um, the client and help them, the ownership team, you know, help them create this aquarium that they wanted. The design team was taking care of all of that. Like, it's like, it's unbelievable watching them take a building and turn it into an aquarium. Like, I, oh, I bet. It's, uh, it's so cool. Um, but it was helping them, you know, everything from like, ticketing systems and like what does where do the floor drains go like what if we decide we want to put 
uh, habitat here. And maybe we decide we want to do this type of fish. What does that look like? What's the equipment? What is the, you know, material inside of it? What are the water quality parameters? What are the lighting? Because they have to outline all of that equipment to show up in order for us to be able to do that. Um, And so mine was also taking that information, like I'd get the questions, I go, great questions. And then I would go find the answers, like go find the people that, you know, on our team that have that expertise um, to help give us that information. So it was always a little different. I mean, really early on, it was a lot of you know, computer work, like, you know, research, like we're building out the website. Where does all that information on the animals come from? Right, Where right. do your hours come from? Where do your, you know, so it's, I don't do, I think, a really great job of outlining just the minutia, but it's, it is so exciting to be a part of this that it, none of it seems boring in even the slightest sense, you know? And then there would be kind of fun things that we could do. So you saw the ropes course yes. when you first walked in. And so we got to help. They were, you know, we're looking at some area over here. And so we got to help find that company to install that and like, you know, the mini golf course outside. Um, And so things that maybe aren't not what you'd expect to be dealing with when you first wake up, but in order for the aquarium to succeed, the whole complex has to succeed. Right. And so what does that look like? That's awesome. It's very cool. That's so cool. I love that. I'm curious. Do you you know how much say, you know, people coming to the aquarium then also go mini golfing versus how many people come mini golfing and then are like, Oh wow. An aquarium and stuff like that. Have you looked at any of that? I just, I'm curious. Yeah. So I am very fortunate now that I don't have to crunch a lot of those numbers. We've got some really great people that can tackle that. Um, But I do know the aquarium is one of the anchors for the complex. Right. And so a lot of people that are coming in um, are coming for the aquarium and then realize there are all the other attractions. Right, right. Um, but again, there have got to be plenty of people. I mean, we have a 200 foot observation wheel outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see that when you're driving by. Hard to miss. You don't see the doors to the aquarium. Right. So right. I'm sure there are people that are coming in going, I need to get to that wheel. And then, oh my gosh, can you imagine? Like, what is all of this other stuff? And then we have the hotel and right. all the conventions that happen there as well. So, um, you know, the aquarium is certainly a draw, but it is not the only. Well, and that's, the reason I ask is because I've been, I've been wondering about that sometimes. Like I go to a lot of zoos and aquariums and especially the zoos are usually out in the middle of nowhere. Like the Toronto Zoo, the first time I went there, I was like, I'm lost. And I was using the GPS and I was right. I just – I was in the middle of nowhere. Yep. And then all of a sudden there was there was a zoo and that happens a lot. And I've, I've often wondered if it wouldn't make sense to – I mean you got to be careful at a zoo, especially about, you know, not disrupting the animals and stuff. Yes. Um, which an aquarium – Tends to avoid more because, you know, it's more indoors and, and all it's of more that. more contained. Yeah, yeah. But I just – I was curious, you know, if if that is something where, like, tourism could drive more people to the aquarium. I think we're starting to see it, right, in some of the developments that are coming up lately in that it's not just – it's not just an aquarium or it's not just a zoo. It's part of a larger area. Right. Um, and again, you know, having to take safety into consideration and all of that. But I think you're starting to see that you want to be able to provide – especially um, the last few years, people are looking for solid experiences because they don't, they've started to appreciate them. I think Mm -hmm. we've all had to, right? Mm -hmm. When you don't fully appreciate anything until it's not there anymore. Um, And so what does that experience look like? And so you can come down and spend a couple hours at an aquarium, or we can give you something that gives you an entire day or a weekend to do. I mean, especially during um, 
you know, holidays, we've got Polar Express that runs out of Union Station. And so you literally have trains that are leaving to head up to the North Pole, mm-hmm. um, which I hear is somewhere in the vicinity. Yeah, and then they're yeah. able to come on back. Um, but it's just, it's a really nice kind of event for families to be able to come in and do. So um, I think we're going to see that happening a lot more. Very cool. Um, I'm going to get yelled at by by my um, audience if I don't if I don't get some more animal stuff on here. Though we talked yes. about we talked about Myrtle and stuff, and and I'm fascinated by all of this. But I need to at least interject and let's get to the um, let's get to the aquarium. Yeah, and let's talk about some of the animals there. Um, so, like, tell me about some of the most popular, the coolest things. Just tell me animal things. Right. So we've got some pretty amazing animals in here. Like, so the aquarium is not the largest facility you're ever going to go to. But the team here does such an amazing job of sharing the stories of every animal that we have. And there are over 13,000 animals in the St. Louis Aquarium. Because of where we're located, we're right at the confluence of two huge rivers, the Missouri and the Mississippi. So we start off telling you the story of the local animals in here. And Missouri has got some cool fish. I mean, you don't... Freshwater fish get a bad rap, right? They're they're not as... They're not as flashy, you know, they're more subdued colorations and stuff, um, but they're beautiful and they're cool. And like paddlefish are like living fossils. These things have been around virtually unchanged since the time of the dinosaurs. Um, And so Mother Nature sorted out perfection a long time ago with them. And you might not realize it when you first look at them because they're kind of unique looking, Um, huge rostrum. Um, but it's super delicate and it helps them. They have terrible eyesight because who needs it when you're in the muddy Missouri River sure, or the Mississippi sure. River? Um, but they can pick up um, electro reception. I'm messing up that word. It's time for interrupting. 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 Interrupting, interrupting John. She was not. She was not messing up that word. Electroreception is the ability to detect weak, naturally occurring electrostatic fields in the environment, and it facilitates the detection of prey or other food sources and objects and is used by some species as a means of social communication. This includes the paddlefish that she's talking about and also platypus. Yay, platypus, amongst other animals. Anyway, back to the interview. Um, But of animals moving around in there. And so they know exactly what's in front of them. Um, And so they're just super cool, especially when they feed. Their mouth opens up and it's like a huge pelican gullet. Um, And so that's really cool. Um, You have the opportunity to... We're very big on getting your hands wet. Like, you need to interact. You're not going to have the same experience if you come here and just waltz through and not stop. Um... This is not just a looking aquarium. This is a doing, feeling, touching aquarium. Um, and so you get to stick your hands in and get your hands tickled by doctor fish. Um, super cool little fish from, you know, the mountains of Turkey. But they'll come and they'll eat the dead skin off of your hands. Um, and your hands are, vis- like, they feel smoother when you're done with it. And it's just, it tickles. It's really sweet. I've never had that experience. Oh, I'm, it's I'm so cool. I'm going to when we're done here. Absolutely. That's really exciting. That's really cool. It's really neat. It's a little unnerving visually because they're about <laughs> like an inch, an inch and a half long. And you stick your hand in and like 50 to 100 of them come over and are immediately swarming around your hand. And you're like, ah. Oh. But if you were not, if you were to do it with your eyes closed to start, I don't think you'd be as... Like it tickles, but it's right, not right, as scary right. yeah. as visually watching all of these things just come swarming to your hand. Oh, that's so cool, though. Which is I'm really excited. neat. 
It's time for interrupting. 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 Interrupting John. Okay, y'all. I know I say this like a lot, but that was legitimately one of the strangest and coolest experiences I have ever had with animals. So these Dr. Fish come swarming just like was described by Aaron there, and they just and they attack your hands and they start eating off your dead skin. And spoiler alert, drummer actively gigging during this time a lot. Um my hands just there was a lot of food. I'm just I I was a fish buffet is what I'm telling you. Um, and it was crazy to watch. And uh, Aaron totally let me hang out for a minute. So like legitimately, you could look at my hands before and after and see the effect that these fish had on them. It was crazy. It felt really cool. Did not hurt at all. Was super awesome. And I did get some video of it, which I will post on Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. So you can check it out there. But um, yeah, this was really neat. And for anyone around the St. Louis area, I highly recommend checking this out, doing this, and then maybe saving some money on your monthly manicure, if that's a thing that you do. Is that a thing that people do? I, I don't know if that's a thing that people do. But anyway, back to the interview. So we try to focus just as much on freshwater fish, um, the freshwater environment as the marine habitats. But, you know, we also have, uh, we have otters, North American river otters, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thatcher, Sawyer, and Finn. Okay. Um, they were named by our extended St. Louis Aquarium family. So we had a naming contest. Um, pretty fitting for the area, I think. Um, but you also have the opportunity to interact with animals that rivers and oceans are important to everybody, right? Yes. Um, you don't have to just live in them to have them impact you. And so there are a lot of terrestrial animals that you'll find here as well. Everything from, you know, reptiles. We've got snakes and bearded dragons and, you know, um, tortoises. Um, we do have a, we've got a sloth. We've got a um, lesser tamandua. Uh, uh, <gasps> oh, yeah. Tamandua here. Do. I am obsessed with tamanduas. Yes. They are super so cool. cool. Who's your tamandua? Annie. Annie. Tell me about Annie. Oh, Annie is sweet. There's just, she's kind of goofy looking, right? Like if you haven't seen one, you don't really know. But, um, but just super inquisitive. Uh, she loves her milkshakes. Um, we, she gets insect milkshakes every day. Um, and so, which is a great opportunity for you to watch that like super long tongue of hers come out and eat. But just one of the sweetest. Um, and she's out there, you know. And what I love about them is that their little paws are faced in when they walk. Like, and I don't know, it looks uncomfortable, but also adorable at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, she's really sweet. Um, coconut the sloth, Aww. named um, because when uh, he came in, he was the size, about the size of a coconut <laughs> and looked like one. Um, what you don't realize are animals are, I mean, we know this, right? But animals are like people in that you're going to have petite individuals and you're going to have, you know, larger statured animals. Um, and so we have two sloths and they are on the opposite end of the spectrum. We have coconut who's more petite. And then we have chewy who is, you know, full grown, um, but also, you know, just a really large, she's got right. a long reach. I think, you know, well over six feet if you were to stand and, and extend her arms up. That's awesome. Um, and so she came to us from the Southwick zoo up in Massachusetts. No. Yes. Which is cool because I got to work there when I was in high school. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay. So well, I have a great relationship with Southwick. Oh, okay. Um, I have had 
two of their keepers plus um, their, their the person who runs it, Betsy, yeah. uh, on the podcast. Very cool. Um, one of the keepers in particular, uh, Danny Portier-Larsen, she's uh, their their head bird keeper there. Um, and I've become incredibly close friends. And and she's been on a couple of times and is a huge – I just – Southwick's is such a great place. They're so cool. I'm so excited about that. Yeah. So my, <laughs> my involvement there was not as glamorous. Um, <laughs> I was in high school and so I worked at the – you know, everything ta- – it takes everyone to run a zoo. Absolutely. I worked at the concession stands. Okay. Well, I have so. to tell you they have some of the best zoo pretzels in the country. <laughs> yes. I'm just, just saying. Zoo it's, pretzels are very important. It right? is. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's a great spot, you know, and, and what they're doing with their program animals is very cool. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was also really nice to have a, you know, another native Massachusetts person or, mm-hmm. you know, um, counterpart here in St. Louis with us. So, That's so cool. Um, but, of course, you know, sharks, rays um, – we have Shark Canyon that has seven different species of sharks, um, two green sea turtles. We've got some stingrays. What's cool is we have lesser devil rays, which Ooh, are the nice. smaller versions of manta rays. Right, right. Yeah. But there are not a lot of aquariums that have no. are th- able to keep them. Um, and so we were granted that opportunity very early on, um, and they are just fantastic. Ah, and so it's so cool. beautiful watching them swim. So these guys are filter feeders. Yep. Um, and so they just glide. They're beautiful. You know, it's like dancers in in the water. Um, and I think what's kind of unique about our space is a lot of times, and you have seen this, I'm sure, when you go to aquariums, the largest viewing panel is always on the side, mm-hmm. right? And so you watch the, you know, the fish swim left to right or right to left. Our largest viewing panels, our viewing opportunities are on the end. Okay. So you're watching, and we've got a couple of them because um, we've got to switch back, but you have the opportunity to watch these animals come like up and over a ridge and straight down at you, which is just a different perspective. And, you know, and you get to watch them glide. And when you've got a seven foot um, shark yeah. swimming down towards you, it, it's just a completely different perspective than watching them yeah, I would imagine swim so. beside you. That's amazing. So, yeah. That's so so cool. it's time for interrupting, interrupting, interrupting. Interrupting John again. Yep. Again, just needed to butt in here to say that um, after the interview, went and experienced it, and it was exactly as described. It's really cool that uh, the the group here, the Zooceanarium group, is thinking of new ways to present exhibits and different like angles and stuff. Because uh, as Aaron said, having a shark coming down over you and at you is something that you really don't see at a lot of aquariums and it does give you some different perspective um it's i don't know if terrifying is the right word because like i wasn't scared it's awe-inspiring but i could also see you know it gives you the prey experience without the whole threat of you know being eaten and stuff okay back to the interview this is so weird because normally i either do interviews on zoom or at a place, and this is at a place, but we yes. haven't actually gone through the aquarium yet. No. So you're like selling me on this aquarium, and I'm realizing I'm about to have these experiences, and you're really getting me excited. Oh, good, because so maybe I should have talked to you afterwards. So we could have, <laughs> um, but it's just, and it's it's all those kind of little things that go into it, right? Um, when building a space out is, what is, how are you? How are your animals going to interact? How are you going to care for them while they're there? But then how are the guests going to experience it mm-hmm. as well? And so it's, you know, that kind of trying to find that, you know, holy grail of spaces. Um, but it's just a cool space. Um, one of my favorite animals in here, though, is not our sharks or our tur- Well, 
Remind me to talk about our turtles later. Oh, trust me. I, because they're very cool. Yeah, no. Tur- um, turtles are a big thing in my world, so we'll, we'll get back to that. Okay, cool. But yes. Um, our very first resident here, though, was uh, Blue Lobster. Oh, okay. Named Lord Stanley. Nice. That's a good yes. name. Good yep. name. Yeah. Um, and if you've seen lobsters, they're not traditionally blue. Right, And right. this guy is vibrant, like royal blue. Nice. And he is stunning. And he showed up at a restaurant on the Cape in Massachusetts. They open up the box and they see this vibrant blue lobster in there. And the owner's like, "Uh, no, 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 no. We're not serving this one. Blue lobsters are one in two million. Like it's a unique um, coloration. It's essentially just a, you know, a mutation Mm. in their color. And you don't see that many of them because a bright blue lobster walking around on the ocean floor (laughs) is essentially like just walking around with a target on his back. Sure, sure. Um, and so Lord Stanley has got the pers- the self-defense mechanisms to show that he has made it. He's about um, When he arrived, he was about a pound and a half. So okay. he estimated about seven years. Okay. And so he had spent seven years, you know, like he's also a tough Massachusetts lobster. <laughs> you know, he's walking around. Um, but he showed up and it was very important for the owners of the restaurant that he go to an institution that would inspire future ocean conservationists. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of times that's not something you think of when you think of a seafood restaurant owner, right? <laughs> right, but, no, yeah. you know, fishermen are also one of the largest advocates for marine health mm-hmm. out there. Um, and there are many hunters that also push for wildlife Exactly, it's yes. A, it's a weird thing sometimes. It's the same yeah, thing. It's, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah. And so it also was coincidentally in the spring of 2019 – when the St. Louis Blues were in the Stanley Cup nice. against Boston Bruins, um, and then the Blues won, and it was huge for the city. Um, and so to show that not all Bostonians were sore losers, they reached out and said, wouldn't it be cool if he could go to St. Louis? The aquarium wasn't built yet. We didn't open until December. <laughs> so, um, But we said, absolutely. So I got to fly up there. Um, our curator at the time thought it would be really funny to send a native Massachusetts person mm-hmm. over to go get right. it. And I was like, this is fine. I speak their language. We'll be good. <laughs> um, but it was really great. So I got to go up in and get him. He spent the night at uh, New England Aquarium, which was really fun <laughs> because, so yeah, he got to spend the night with, um, you know, in a gallery one of my friends did. So they were really cute. They, um, when you transport a lobster, TSA doesn't want water in anything, right? Okay, and right. so lobsters can travel outside of water as long as they're cold and, you know, kind of kept damp. Okay. So he had a cooler. That'll help keep the temperature, right? Um, it had some ice packs. And then we um, they dipped a towel in salt water and kind of wrapped him in it. To be funny, they wrapped him in a... Um, Bruins championship towel <laughs> just for fun. Um, but what was cool was going through TSA pre-check at, at Logan Airport. You know, the, guy, the security guy's like, I'm going to have you open the lid. Like, because he doesn't know. I mean, right. th- so we open the lid. I move the towel. He's like, yes, lobster. Okay, check. You know, and, and we went and um, he had his own seat on Southwest. Nice. Um, and so we flew back here uh, and he was our, our very first resident and he is fantastic. And what's really cool about lobsters is they, as they grow, they need to molt, right? They have to get rid of that shell in order to keep going. And every time he does, he, it just reminds you how beautifully blue he is because he comes out with a new shell and it's right, all clean right. and oh. he is stunning. Um, and so he has his very own kind of dedicated space nice. up on the second floor. So you can't miss him. Um, but he's just, I don't know, he's just cool. 
you know. That's so awesome. And now we're going to take it back to the turtles. Absolutely. Um, yes, yes. So uh, we have two green sea turtles, um, Quasi and Tsunami. Okay. Yep, names. are their names. names. I approve. Um, so they were both um, rescued, non-releasable mm-hmm. green sea turtles. So Tsunami came in to um, a rehabilitation facility, and she had been struck by a boat, and it shattered her jaw. Um, and so she went through two years of physical therapy to try to rebuild that. Um, and so she wasn't, she was in a rehab space, you know, they don't, they don't have huge, um, exhibits like we do here, huge habitats like Shark Canyon. Um, she was in there for two years and it was just deemed that ultimately she was going to need continued physical therapy in order to keep eating. Um, and so we were happy to have her come up here. And so every two weeks she you know, has physical therapy. We take her out. We help her do some jaw stretches that keep that mobility in her jaw going. Um, but she is happy and she is thriving and she is very cool. Um, she's the larger of our two green sea turtles. And then we have Quasi. Um, and she's sweet. She's, um, you know, the smaller one of the two. Again, a boat strike victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and hers, it paralyzed her two hind flippers. Okay. And also trapped some air under her shell. So she floats a little bit. Sure. Um, and so bubble you, butt. Yeah. So this one's a little different than oh, bubble okay. butt. Yeah. Okay. And I don't really know what the two differences are, but I know that there is a difference. Okay. Um, and so, but yeah, she kind of, yeah. So when she sleeps, um, her little bum floats up in the air. But um, we help her by putting a really light... Um, weight mm-hmm. on her on her um, carapace, and so that's how you can also easily tell if you can't quite tell by the size right, if they're not right. right next to each other. You look for the one that has the little, you know, kind of black patch up on the top of it, and she cruises around Shark Canyon. I mean, you would have no idea that she's only working with those two front um, flippers, and so they're really great. And you've got multiple opportunities to see them, and they're in there with our sharks, you know, in our rays. Um, we have a, a Goliath grouper, a huge Goliath grouper. And there are times where you come in in the morning and your sea turtles are sitting on the bottom next to our nurse shark who's snuggling up against our zebra shark who's like, you know, right next to one of our Atlantic stingrays. <laughs> and it's just adorable. And you're like, oh, sharks are so scary, you know, and they're all like pig piled on top of each other. Shark cuddle puddle. Exactly. It's so cute. Um, That's really awesome. Yeah. So we're really, you know, we're really fortunate to be able to have them um, and really honored to be able to continue to care for them. But giving them an opportunity, like these animals would not survive on their own, but they have so much, you know, to offer. We've we've got them here. They're going to live out their lives, which could be a very long time. Oh, yeah. You know, we hope, you know, Lord Stanley and, and Tsunami and Quasi are all here um, well past any of us um, are. But you're here in St. Louis and you have the opportunity to see them mm-hmm. and, you know, get closer than you would, even if you, you know, went down to a vacation in Florida. Right. Yeah. And so, they're not going to eat any plastic bags. No, exactly. So yes. like good. Excellent. Know? Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I've reached this thing recently where like, so a lot of people, you know, on Instagram and stuff come at me about captivity, you know, the anti- anti-captivity crowd, they, they exist. We know this. And for the longest time, I, I was very, you know, willing to answer everything and willing to try and talk through stuff. And I've, I've kind of realized there are people who, who are willing to listen. But then it's also just become like another branch of the anti-science thing that we're going through in so many ways in the world right now. And um, once I realized that, it, it really helped me realize like there are times to engage and there are times to disengage quickly for my own mental health. And, right. and you know, and um, I just – I don't understand the anti-science crowd in general and – and but I, I love – pointing out things like not only would these turtles be 
dead. But hypothetically, if they weren't, it's not like the ocean is a super great place right no. now. Like turtles aren't doing well. No, you know? not a lot are. Um, yeah. yeah, and so it's, you want different sides of the argument, right? Because it helps keep both sides honest. Yes. Um, you want to constantly make sure that you are doing the best that you can for these animals um, yeah. and, you know, and expanding your growth and all of that. Um, but yeah, the ocean is, it's uh, sharks, for example. Everyone fears them, right? There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago. Maybe you heard of it. Jaws. Some, yeah, something I think like that. Something yeah. like that. I think Jaws teeth maybe. Or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so everybody is afraid of them. And, you know, in some instances, rightly so. Sure. These animals are huge. Sure. Um, but there are about 500 species of sharks swimming around in the ocean. And 250 of them get no larger than three feet when they're full grown. Mm -hmm. Like, you're, you are taller than a shark when you were in first grade for half of the species that right, are out there. Right. Um, and even for the other ones, you know, they can get 25 feet long. Um, I mean, whale sharks are the size of a school bus. Yes, yeah, like they're amazing huge, 60 feet. Yeah. Um, but you've got, you've got them like we're, we're overfishing at such capacities that like, you know, every 19 seconds, there's like, a number of sharks that are killed like mm -hmm. every, every 19 seconds. So like for the duration of this podcast, like we have wiped out every shark in shark Canyon multiple right, times. Right. Like, and it's not us personally, for not as personally yes, and not, yes, and no. not these sharks here. Um, <laughs> you know, just as an example, but <laughs> no, absolutely. It's absolutely so right. scary when you think about mm -hmm. it, that we, we have the power. If we have the power to do that, what could we do if we shifted it in the other direction? Mm -hmm. You yeah. know? Um, yeah. There is so much plastic out there. There is so much, just debris. And I think it's one of those things that's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. So aquariums, you know, and zoos and other institutions are hugely important because it it helps us remind us that all of our um, actions have consequences, right? Really early on, we did um, a stream clean, a river cleanup around here. And we were picking up trash from Colorado that had made it over here. And we know that any trash that makes it here is going straight down the Mississippi mm -hmm. and out to the Gulf. And you're like, if you can get a plastic bag from, you know, Colorado over to St. Louis just by Riverway, like, you know, we're moving a lot of stuff around. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of just, it was a really sobering experience for a lot of people. It's just like, yes, I need to throw this away. I need to make sure I'm using my blue bin. Like I need to make sure that I'm, and the hard part is, is it can get almost overwhelming, mm -hmm. like trying to make sure you're being responsible. Yeah. But you don't need one person doing a million things perfectly. You need a million people doing one thing well, like, yeah. you know, and you're just going to have a bigger yeah. impact. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's super important. Um, and, you know, speaking of, of conservation, I noticed something that I thought was pretty cool when I came in here, which is, you know, aquariums cost money to go into. And like, rightly so. This, this ain't cheap. But um, y'all have a free area. And it's like the conservation themed area that like seemed to be kids focused from the little bit that I saw. Um, tell me about that and what the idea was behind that, because I think that is so cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the aquarium has a nonprofit power. Partner, uh, the St. Louis Aquarium Foundation, um, and then and through that, the mission is to kind of raise awareness over your watershed and your impacts on water, right? Um, and so we have the Conservation and Education Center located, you know, kind of inside Union Station, but there's no admission to it. Mm -hmm. Come on in. Um, there's a, and it is, it's designed for kids, but for kids of all ages, right? Um, but if you've got families and your little kid wants to run over and color a fish and then scan it and watch it pop up onto a screen, like, 
how cool of an experience is that? Um, and so they can do that here. They can also learn more about their watershed. You know, if we were to go out and do that map, growing up in Massachusetts, my watershed was very small. Here in St. Louis, the Mississippi watershed is like two-thirds of the country. Right, like right. literally all of that water ends up draining at some point into the Mississippi River and out into the Gulf. And like that's unbelievable. So – um, you know, that your impact in one particular area can also impact somebody, you know, what feels like forever away, you know, hours of drives away. Um, and so there's that, there's an opportunity. And then you go like, well, what can I do? There are quizzes in here so you can learn, you know, little steps. You know, if you're just starting out, maybe consider, you know, shifting to recycling or, or bringing a, you know, we hear bring a reusable water bottle. Easy task. Um, but something that everyone can do. Yep. Um, but then there are different games in here and different just opportunities to learn a little bit more about steps that you can take to imp that will better impact our water environment because you're going to go right into the aquarium and see all of these amazing um, animals that would be directly impacted by your actions. I love it. That's such a so. cool thing. And I love that. I love that that area is free. I think that is so cool. Yeah. I, I do not at all have a problem with, you know, charging admission for things. It, it's how the world works. But um, having that free area is really, really cool. It's just nice. Yeah. yeah I dig it. I dig it. Um, so was there anything else that you wanted to tell me about the aquarium? Oh, my gosh. There is so much. But, um, you know, I think the the biggest thing for the aquarium is in kind of creating that next generation of people that care about water and that are going to take those steps to protect it. Um, and so giving them those opportunities to experience, you know, animals in completely different ways is going to change that perspective. So um, we're hoping to create a, a small army and then a larger and a larger army of people that just care about the ocean um, and about the rivers and about ultimately our planet and ourselves. Right. Um, and so we would hope that if anyone is ever in the St. Louis area, you swing on in um, and see for yourself exactly what it looks like. Love it. And then um, are there any conservation organizations you'd like to give a shout out to? Well, I would have to immediately give one out to the St. Louis Aquarium Foundation um, for doing, you know, some pretty amazing work out there. Uh, we did have, a really great relationship with um, the research uh, turtle rehabilitation center down in Jekyll Island. Okay, so yeah. that's where quasi and tsunami came from. Nice. So big shout out to them for that. And turtles uh, fly Two, which was an organization that helped fly these turtles right on up here. Um, so just a really great job for that. But I mean, the list is so long, right? I mean, anybody who's focusing on it, you know, big shout out to St. Louis zoo, right? Our neighbors right next door doing amazing things for the terrestrial animals. Um, so, but yeah, take a look at the St. Louis Aquarium Foundation website. It's really cool that, you know, you guys found each other since their name is St. Louis Aquarium Foundation. You guys are the St. Louis Aquarium. That's I know. It was very crazy. fortuitous. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, it was, you know, a social and they had you line up by name. Makes sense. We just happened to bump into each other. Makes sense. I like it. <laughs> it's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rock Safari Poop Story. All right. Do you know that first seal poop smells like broccoli? <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. That's what my brain thinks of. No, I did not know that. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, every morning. You're going to go out when we brought our fur seals in. We're going to go out and we're going to hose off the deck. The cool thing about fur seals is that females are quite small, mm -hmm. but the males are not. They're like 
two to three times the size of it. You're getting like a 300-pound male. So when it's just the females hanging out in the corner, the mess isn't so much. But then when you got to go clean up after the big guy, <laughs> you just turn the power hose on high and uh, right into the water. Hose and broccoli. So, yep, exactly. Yeah. But I'm an animal person, so it's not really gross to me. Like well, I can yeah. eat, I can eat broccoli just fine. I mean, that you makes know? sense. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This has been an absolute no, blast. Thanks for coming in. I'm so glad we were able to connect on your tour here. Yeah, yeah. So there you have it, folks. An absolutely awesome interview with an absolutely awesome person at an awesome new aquarium. How exciting is that? And I have to tell you. This place is really cool. There are a lot of interactive things going on. They have some ambassador animals. You heard about some of them. But when I did my tour, I got to see a really adorable possum that is trained for pouch checks and stuff. And it was really cute and really cool to watch that. Um, we already talked a little bit about the doctor fish and some of that kind of stuff. But there's also uh, an area where you can feed some turtles and, you know, the standard touch bulls touching the starfish and all that kind of stuff. But they have some pretty cool things with anemones and stuff that you don't see at, you know, all the aquariums. So, um, yeah, it's really cool. I also got to see something that I had wanted to see for a long time. I've spent some time with a giant Pacific octopus, both behind the scenes and just, you know, lots of times in front of the glass watching them be awesome. And I have seen all of those cool octopus behaviors that, that you hear about from the color changing to the way they swim to being, you know, having suction cups, suctioning you and, and all the cool things. Um, but I'd never seen one get really small and, and fit through a really tiny space because, you know, they're invertebrates and they can do that. And, uh, and they can fit through any space that their beak can fit through basically. And, uh, I got to see that happen at the St. Louis aquarium and it's really, really, really cool. And that wasn't like a cool special behind the scenes thing. The octopus was just doing the thing and they have an exhibit set up that can demonstrate that behavior because again, new aquarium, awesome design work, a lot of thought went into all of it. I love it. It is such a cool place. My only regret is that because I spent a lot of time, you know, at the aquarium doing aquarium things, I didn't get to do the whole in the sky above the aquarium thing. The ropes course looked awesome. Maybe the next time that I'm I'm going through St. Louis, right? But um, yeah, so I hope you all enjoyed that. And uh, as you can tell, I have been just completely shot out of a cannon for this entire intro and outro. And um, thanks for sticking with me on that. I know your, your speed setting has not been bumped up to plus 25%. John's just hyper tonight. Sorry about that. Uh, but I do love you all. I'm so grateful that you're here. I love this community that we have built. I'm especially thankful to Lara Shank, my uh, Red Panda level patron but also to all of my patrons and to all of my non-patron listeners, to those of you who send the news, to those of you who like things on Instagram, to those of you who never, ever, ever reach out and I don't even know that you're there, but then I see the stats and I realize that you are and it warms the cockles of my heart. Y'all, it even warms the sub-cockles of my heart. I appreciate y'all so much, so much, so much. And I think I'm just rambling now, so I'm going to uh, say, hey, don't forget, the word credit's backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. 
You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.